It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. The Sport Hall. Butch, 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 butch. Yes, you made a boo-boo. I did. Mm. I did. The boo box. Ah! Uh-oh, time for the boo box in the Sport Hall. All right, we didn't have a show yesterday because of Region I Basketball Media Day, which I'll discuss next. But we didn't want to miss out on uh, putting somebody in the boo box after a weekend of nonsense, Larry. A weekend of people saying a lot of dumb crap. And this one's close to my heart, and I hate to do it, but we're putting uh, this guy in the boo box. One of my favorites of all time. Here he is. Talking about the college football playoff and Florida State and all that stuff. There's an eye test here. The ACC is a mediocre football conference. It's a very good basketball conference. It's a mediocre football conference. If Florida State went into the SEC, they'd lose two to three games every single year. They would. And if they played Alabama five times this year, they'd lose four. And if you don't know that, you're not paying attention to college football. Tony Kornheiser, the boo box. I could not believe my ears that he's on the dark side of this argument. There's two sides. There's the people who believe in competition and playing games on the field and who believe in America. And then there's guys like Tony Kornheiser who believe that they are the god of football somehow and know supernaturally who the best teams in the country are. Disregard what happened on the field. Kornheiser and the college football committee. Somehow, like uh, the tarot card lady on late night TV... Miss Cleo are somehow able to say, look, I know Florida State was undefeated, but in my heart, I know that Texas and Alabama are better teams. Now, clearly, this was cowardice from the college football committee. They were afraid of of Sankey, Greg Sankey, and they were afraid of the SEC. And in order to put Texas in. They needed to put Alabama in as well because Alabama lost to Texas. We've heard this over and over, but I wasn't here yesterday. So I got a vent, Larry, and I got to put Kornheiser in the boo box. This is one of the darkest days in college football for the last 20-something years, and I've been you know following it closely. To have a team like Florida State This isn't UCF from a couple years ago or Cincinnati or even Boise State. This is one of the top football programs in the country who won a national championship like 10 years ago. And you're saying, yes, you won. You you did it everything you could possibly do, including trounce two SEC teams, the conference that we all worship. You beat them both. You beat Clemson. You beat Duke. You went through. You beat a good Louisville team in your conference championship game. You went undefeated, but we know in our hearts that Alabama is better than you and that Texas is better than you. It is absolutely sickening. And for Kornheiser to go and uh, on a spiel about he knows if they, you know Florida State played Alabama five times, they'd lose four. It's utter nonsense. And this is the perfect way for this lame system and the stupid college football committee even though they'll still be there next year with the 12 teams, except it won't be as it won't be as intense or pivotal, their decision, because there will be more teams, and they'll be arguing on the fringes of the 12th team instead of the 4th team. So I think, I think the, there will be arguments, but they won't be at the top. 
And so there won't be as much intensity about it, hopefully. The idea that they're going to factor in the Jordan Travis problem, that he's hurt, he's your best player, and he's out. You're not the same team without him. Had Florida State, had Jordan Travis hurt in game one of the season, let's say. He couldn't play against LSU, and they lost to LSU. And then he got back for the next for the rest of the season. They go 11-0 with him. They wouldn't let them in the playoff because they would say, hey, you lost, you have no argument, a loss is a loss. But conversely, when they don't have them and they win, a win is not a win, apparently. So you're going to count losses when he's not there, but you're not going to count wins when he's not there. Texas played their big rival in conference who's kind of had a mediocre year, Oklahoma, in the Red River shootout. They played a game, and Texas lost that game. Florida State played their big in-conference rival in Clemson. I know Clemson's mediocre, kind of like Oklahoma, maybe not as good as Oklahoma, but kind of similar years where it was disappointing. Florida State got a chance in a similar game, their equivalent, and they won the dang game. In fact, they won every game. They won with their second-string guy. They won with their third-string guy. And you're telling that group of players, everybody that's not the quarterback, that even though they won every game on their schedule, they can't compete for a national title. Now, this happened back in 04 in the BCS system with Auburn, where the BCS chose, who was it, USC, Larry, and LSU, or Oklahoma, or something like that. Um, Penn State went undefeated back in the 90s and didn't get a chance at a national t- uh, national championship. Basically, what this year is, Larry, it's, it's, it's a reversion back to the days before the BCS where the college football riders would determine the national title. And sometimes they would determine two or three national champions to deter, you know, based on what publication they were writing for, right? There were multiple title winners. That was better than this. Because in that system, a team like Florida State would have a chance to, quote, win a national championship, even though it was stupid. This is stupider. So if I'm Florida State... I'm putting up a banner. I'm, I'm refusing to play Georgia in the bowl game, and I'm just putting up a banner now. National champions undefeated. What are you going to do about it, college football? The NCAA sucks. The college football playoff committee sucks. And I'm glad that they their power will be diluted when this goes to 12 teams. The, the, the SEC, by the way, who we still worship, was 7-9 and nine this year out of conference. Sub-500. Anytime they played anybody out of conference, they lost. Alabama lost to Texas. Arkansas lost to BYU. Vandy lost to UNLV. Florida lost to, to Utah and Florida State. LSU lost to Florida State. Texas A&M lost to Miami. Auburn lost to New Mexico State. Why are we still worshiping the SEC? This was our big chance... To have a four-team playoff without the SEC because the SEC has been diluted, Larry. The NIL and the transfer portal has diluted the power of the SEC. And this year is very demonstrative of that fact. Look at these teams. Georgia isn't Georgia like they've been the last couple years. Carson Beck's no good at quarterback. Alabama ain't Bama. Jalen Milrow isn't close to what uh, the talented quarterback that they've had over the last few years. Uh, Joe Milton at Tennessee. Graham, what's his name, at Florida, who's no good. Texas A&M sucks. Auburn lost to New Mexico State two weeks ago. Why are we still worshiping this conference? It would have been so dang sweet 
to have the last four-team playoff exclude the SEC. Look, SEC, I know it just means more, but some years you just don't have it. And this year you didn't have it. Auburn lost 31-10 to New Mexico State. And then we're beating the pants off Bama, and Bama has to have a miracle to beat a team that lost to New Mexico State a week earlier. And then they beat Georgia. So the argument that I've heard people make about the committee is, look, we went around the room, and there's coaches in the committee, and we said... Who would coach? Who would you not want to play? This is the metric we're going to use to determine who we should put into the playoff. Who would you be afraid to play? And all of them said, hey, I'd be much more afraid to play Alabama than Florida State at this point. So let's put in Alabama in that fourth spot. If that's the metric, then why isn't Georgia in the top four? Because all those same idiot coaches would have said, we're more afraid to play Georgia than Anybody else, Washington or Michigan? So why isn't Georgia? Let's just go around and ask these coaches what teams they're most afraid of. And let's put three or four SEC teams in the stupid playoff if that's how we're determining it. It's so it's so insane, Larry. You agree with all this, right? Yes. Anything else on that? Boo, so the guy they're trying out is Boo Corrigan, the NC State athletic, athletic director. By the way, Mark Harlan is on the committee, Utah's AD. There's an AD from every uh, conference, Power Five conference, and a bunch of others, old coaches and luminaries of the college football playoff world. This is the worst thing that's happened since the playoff started. And it's... You know, I, I think you could go back to 03 or whenever Saban won the championship at LSU and say, why wasn't USC in that championship game or whatever? There's been a lot of problems. There was problems in the BCS too. But this is, this is horrible. This is the worst. And in a way, the silver lining for me with this decision, however, is, you know, like... When, um, like 10 years ago, when, not to get political, but let's see how I could dance around this here. When the cancel culture thing started ramping up, maybe like five years ago on Twitter, and it was pulling up dirt on people and the Me Too movement and all that stuff. And then it started coming out that all of these Hollywood idols, right? All of these idols of the left were perverts and scumbags and it ended up eating up their own and it was so satisfying to see all of these actors and perverts in Hollywood go down by the by the um by the principles that they were always espousing to be for all the values that they were espousing to be for women's rights and all that stuff well it turns out you're all pervert scumbags you're going down. So Hollywood kind of ate their own, which was fantastic to watch. Sadly for Florida State, this is one of the biggest programs in the country. The eye test idiots are eating their own. It's one thing when they're saying that about UCF, and it's one thing when they're saying about Boise or about Cincinnati or, you know, Hawaii years ago. But now they're doing it to Florida State. So the I test is leaving the Florida State Seminoles who are undefeated out of the playoff. They're eating their own. And that might be the one aspect of this that I'm enjoying. I would prefer it to be an SEC team. 
but they would never do that because they're so dang afraid. College football is no longer a sport. It's a, and it hasn't been. It really hasn't been maybe ever. It's been, it's a dance recital. It's a 12-week-long dance recital. We're at the end. You know, you got to go as parents on a Saturday and watch eight hours of dance routines and with the judges and stuff. That's what college football is. And at the end, they have the judges tell you why your kid's dance team wasn't good enough to win the Gold Cup. So that's what we watched. And that's why college football is the greatest sport ever, but who cares about the postseason? Who cares about any of these bowls? And who cares about the playoff? You know, I'm still going to watch it, but it'll be a lot better next year. And the playoff committee can all go to hell. So that's that's Chris Alt from Nevada. That's uh, Mitch Barnhart from Kentucky. Boo Kerrigan. Chet Gladchuk, athletic director from Navy. Jim Grobe, who is an old coach, and on and on and on. Some of these other names. A lot of the big names who started the playoff committee are, are gone. Condoleezza, Oliver Luck, those types of people are no longer there. Anything to add to that, Larry? No. All right. Next topic. What do you got? The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. All right. Region 9 Basketball Media Day was yesterday. We're going to run through some of the highlights here. So awesome to have all the coaches in, the players talking about the upcoming season. Going to be another great one. Let's start with, let's start, let's try to go in order here, uh, Larry. Let's start with Dixie. This is, um, this is Kyle Lemke, I believe. Uh, talking about the team. Go ahead, Lawrence. I just love it because we all know how to play together since we've been playing since yeah. well, sixth grade. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jordan, one of the best passers in the state, just knows he's going to give me the ball like most of the time in a good pass, too, wide open. And then Brecken, one of the best shooters in the state, too. Just if I'm in the post, getting doubled, like Jordan said, going to kick it out to him, just know it's going to go in. And Logan, uh, really good shooter, too. And Great cutter, defender, and like all that. Just trust him with almost everything on the court. Now, are, is he is Kyle going to have the Dixie all-time dunk record by the time he's done? <laughs> I, that's probably not a real stat, but he's got to be up there, right? Yeah, I definitely haven't seen that stat yet, but I'd like to look into that. That'd be a good one to look into. Right, he'll definitely go, he'll oh, definitely yeah. lead us in scoring. He'll be yeah. the all-time leading scorer most likely at, at Dixie High School. Amazing. That was Coach Roberts talking about Kyle there. Uh, Dixie, everybody's picked to win the region, and a lot of people's picked to win the state championship. Went last year, lost to Skyview. It's an expanded field this year, which makes it a lot more exciting. Um, And there's a lot of good teams. Cottonwood's good. Leighton Christian's good. And we're going to see a bunch of them over the next uh, couple weeks in matchups. We're going up to cover uh, Dixie and Crimson Cliffs. They're playing in that Sky Ridge tournament against some good uh, programs. Farmington, Crimson has, and uh, Westlake, Dixie has on Thursday. We'll have the double header for you right here on ESPN 97.7. All right, who's next, Larry? Let's go to let's go to Cedar City. Fire when ready. I think this is Easton Albrecht talking about JT Jeter, the new guy in town for the Cedar Reds basketball team. Yeah, ob- um, obviously it's still a little bit new. Haven't played a ton with him, but just from like what we've seen, he's he's a lockdown defender. He can lock up anybody. He's super quick, um, super athletic, and offensively uh, gets the gets the rim really well and uh, finishes really well around the basket. And uh, just a great addition to the team. That was Albrecht talking about JT Jeter from Macomb, Illinois. You know, it kind of reminded me of football season because he showed up. Nobody knew a lot about him. His father's the head coach at SUU, the basketball team, and he was awesome in football. 
I mean, how many jump balls did he catch? Just 50-50, throw them up, and he would go up and get them. So I'm excited to see uh, JT as a new addition to that Cedar Reds program. They've started 0-3, but uh, working some kinks out before region play. Really talented kid there. All right, let's do... uh, Let's do Crimson Cliffs. Coach Murdoch, new coach over there at Crimson. And this is Scoop Johnson talking about Trevor Taylor. Uh, honestly, I think the biggest thing is sometimes uh, around the perimeter, we get beat as um, as guards. And I think Trev is one of the best help side defenders we have. He's uh, super long. He's got uh, great timing. He blocks a lot of shots. And... Um, in our zone, he's also the the best communicator. He's the loudest. He's always talking, always telling guys where to go. So he's a great help on defense. Scoop Johnson, one of the most uh, accoladed guards returning in Region 9. He's been phenomenal in their few games this season. And I agree about Trevor Taylor, one of the best uh, defenders. There were so many chase down blocks last year. Not not necessarily just full court transition LeBron style chase downs, but just in the half court helping off his defender and pinning the ball off the glass. Taylor is a special uh, defender and just player overall for Crimson Cliffs. All right, let's do Hurricane. Go ahead, Larry. Trying to remember who this is. Is this Coach Stout or is this a player? I guess we'll see. I like playing with RJ because like... like. Okay, so this is Caleb Jackman talking about RJ Hurst, right, Larry? Yes. All right, go ahead. I like playing with RJ because like, like Coach said, we are trying to give me the ball down low in the post and Knowing that I have RJ in the corner, if they send the double team, I just know that I can turn and he will be open and he'll be ready to knock down a shot. And Hurricane's been putting up some points. Uh, The big thing for them from Coach Stout and the players was defense. we got to get our defense going a little bit. But we were able to score, and RJ Hurst is a big part of that. Uh, He's been knocking down threes like crazy. Uh, Quinn Goobler at point guard. He's lightning in a bottle. He's been fun to watch. All right, let's do let's do Pineview. New coach over there, Patrick Amico. Let's see what they've got to say. I think this might be Coach Amico. We uh, yes. we want to play really fast. I know a lot of people say that, but I don't know if a lot of people practice at that pace. We go at a really quick pace. Mainly when we're going, we have our shot clock at 12 to 15 seconds. We want to throw that ball ahead, get a dribble drive, kick it out, and try to go. Um, analytically, we're going to try to shoot a lot of threes. Um, go a little bit inside out. We have... You know, some good size this year yeah. with Condi and Cam. Um, but we'll definitely be outside the arc more than not. And uh, grading different defensive things. We grade kills. That's a big thing for us. So yeah. three consecutive stops. Um, so, yeah, just different analytic things we use. Excited for Coach Amico, who is very laudatory of Coach Ryan Eves, who had been at Pineview as a head coach but as an assistant for, I can't remember what it was, like 17 years. Love Coach Eves. Did a fantastic job with the program for so long, but Coach Amico knew and, you know, had some, I think he's got a lot of people excited with how he approaches the game. And, you know, one of the things that's, I think, interesting about that group with with Nash Schroeder and Griffin Shepard is that's a super talented scoring backcourt who now, in this new system where, like he said, we're put the shot clock at 12 and run and shoot, baby. Get it up and shoot threes, by the way. Is guys who are so team-oriented and disciplined and all that stuff, like Nash and like Griffin, have got to reorient to orient themselves like 
put the ball up more. Put put more threes up. Like, turn it loose, your total green light. And that's going to be an adjustment, I'm sure, for them. It should be a lot of fun to watch. All right, let's do let's do uh, Desert Hills. Coach Treg Holbrook was with us. And I'm trying to remember here, Larry. Go ahead. My inspiration is Kobe. Oh, okay. I- this is great. This is Eli Allred. He's going to tell about his it, kind of a unique player nowadays because his best attribute is working the elbow and that mid-range jump shot, which is kind of a lost art these days. So he's going to talk a little bit about that. And then Coach Holbrook will tell a story about Eli here. This is uh, Desert Hills at Region 9 Media Day uh, yesterday. If you missed it, you can go on our website, sportsradio977.com, and watch your favorite team. Here's Eli. My inspiration is Kobe, and, like, I just grew up, like, everything Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. So, like, I just took so much of watching Kobe and, like, wanting to do the mid-range. Like, I would go out always practicing those mid-range jumpers. And then as I've gotten older, it's always just been a part of my game. I feel like it's probably one of my best shots I shoot and get really comfortable with it. i got to tell you about Eli, how nice it is to have someone like that. Uh there's gym rats, and then there's guys like him. We, you know, there was a time, I think it was late this summer, uh, woke up about 2 in the morning, went out to get, like, a cough drop, and I hear this music. We've got a court downstairs. I hear this music playing. I'm like, what's going on? Are there kids messing around? <laughs> Go to the window and look down, and there's Eli. He's got Chaz out there, and they're going through. They're not messing around. They're, it's a full... <laughs> shooting workout i mean they're pouring sweat and i'm like okay so i went from being really upset to like oh okay cool you know i, I don't even think i needed my cough drop i went to bed i slept like a baby and that's that's not uh, that's not the only time that's happened so so now when i get up and i hear a little music going i'm like okay i got uh, eli's in there helping helping chaz get better so that's awesome, awesome stuff there from coach uh, holdruck talking about their star player, Eli Allred. And then lastly is Coach Ryan Ball over at Snow Canyon giving his coaching philosophy and how they orient their team by setting goals game to game with very specific numbers and kind of another analytical new coach in Region 9. Here's Coach Ball talking about his his process. The offense, so. How important for you, Coach, are those concrete kind of numbers or concrete goals almost for every game to kind of put something in the kid's head to focus on, I guess. Tell me about that. Man, I, I tell these guys three things every game, right? I tell them three things that we have to win every time. And I've just seen this as a coach in my previous experience um, where basically if you win all three of these, you're guaranteed a win and most likely a double-digit win. That's the rebounding margin first and foremost. You've got to get the rebounds. Basketball's a possession game. Can't give up more possessions than you're getting. Um, the second one is free throws. And we lost the free throw battle the first night just because we shot 50%, 12 of 24. And a lot of those were smart uh, smart coaching by Coach Smith at Cyprus. So he was fouling us with two minutes left because we were missing mm. our free throws, mm-hmm. and that allowed them to get back in the game. Yeah. Did a little bit better in game two, but that's the second one is free throw margin. You want to be able to win that. And the third is turnovers. And uh, the first game, we won two of those three, led to a nine-point win. We won by ten, and we also won two of the three in the second one. So, you know, I think we're trying to get these guys to understand if we can win all three of those, it's a pretty much guaranteed double-digit victory, right? Because our first two are kind of right there, winning two out of the three. And it's just hard to win if you don't win those three, yeah. you know, really concrete numbers type of statistics there. And All right, that's very good. Excited about Coach Ball and what he's doing. Uh, Owen Mackey was there, and, uh, you know, one of the most humble kids imaginable for being that good and being able to put up 35 points every game if he wanted to. And we brought this up on media day. 
what everybody says about him is how coachable he is, how team-oriented he is. I, you know, first question I asked him, he wanted to talk about his brother, who's a sophomore this year, Reggie, and how good he's playing and how he's growing and stuff. So um, this is a kid who played on the Utah Prospects AAU team when won the title, the national championship, right? So really excited for Owen Mackey, who's committed to play at Utah Tech. Glad we have him for one more year in Region 9. All right, Larry. Next question, buddy. What do we got? Bring it on. Letter to the Sport Hole. You can write to the Sport Hole at 93776. All right. Letter to the Sport Hole brought to you by the Matt Hickman team at Academy Mortgage. Check out the Matt Hickman team at Academy Mortgage, top 1% mortgage originator in the country. This is Morgan. Dear Sport Hole, what is the bowl you're most excited about watching this year? Great question. I don't care about any of the bowls. Here's what I want to say. If I'm Liberty, if I'm SMU, James Madison, Troy, Boise State, who won the Mountain West somehow in a year where they started so horribly and a down year and coaching change and just a complete nightmare, they still win the Mountain West conference championship which is amazing army miami of ohio from from the mac i'm going double birds to the bowl invites you want me to go to the fenway bowl or the papa john's bowl that forty thousand people are going to watch on tv and five thousand people are going to show up to the stadium to watch you're going to give me a swag bag with a ps4 in it and some and some you know uh candy bars or whatever i'm giving you the double bird i'm saying i don't need your pity invite to some lame bowl I'm getting the top eight group of five teams, and I'm playing my own playoff for my own national championship. We're done with this delusion that we're playing in the same league as Alabama and Georgia and Michigan. We're doing our own thing. So here's what that would look like. And Larry, we should look into maybe hosting this here at Utah Tech or something uh, in, in December. Number one seeds Liberty. Now Liberty's going to say, "Look, we're, we're playing Oregon. We're playing in the Fiesta Bowl. That's better better than some lame, you know, Group of Five tournament you're going to put together." I'll say, "Fine," but everybody else, Liberty, we need you to be there to be our number one seed for credibility. You got Florida A and M. They're the winner of the SWAC. Number two SMU. They're playing in the Fenway Bowl. They've got number seven Boise State, who's played in the Starco Brands L.A. Bowl. Who wants to play in either of those? Come and play in my tournament. Number three, James Madison. They're playing Air Force. Who cares? Come and play the sixth seed, Miami of Ohio, who right now is slated to play in the Avocados from Mexico Bowl against Appalachian State. Come play in my tournament, Miami of Ohio uh, Red Hawks, I think. Number four, Troy. You're slated to play in the 76 Birmingham Bowl versus Duke. Who gives a crap? You're going to play number five, Army, for a chance to win a national title at the group of five level. Stop taking the pity. If I'm you, I'm saying, look, I'll still take the buy games. You want to pay me a million dollars to come play you in the regular season? Great. But once the regular season's over and I'm a group of five conference champion, I'm not going to your dumb bowl games. I'm going and playing for a national title uh, at the group of five level, just like the FCS does. The group of five should follow that same exact model. That's what I would do. All right, Larry. Next question. What do we got? The Sport Hole. Sports, 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 sports. 
Do you likey? All right, Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, came out with a new lame proposal that we could kind of see coming. The NCAA is trying to save themselves. And even though they fell asleep at the wheel and had no foresight into what was coming down the pike with this NIL and transfer portal crap, they're trying to come back. They want to keep their union going. And so he comes out, he writes a letter, and he's appealing to the legislator and other Power Five presidents and stuff like that. And he's saying, basically, we want to allow a certain level of D1 program to be able to pay their players directly, pay NIL money directly to players, minimum of $30,000 per player, Title IX will be in effect, so you'll have to pay 50% of the funds you allocate for this new program to women's sports. And so a a kid will make, you know, $120,000 on top of his scholarship while he's in school, basically. And it's kind of what we were talking about a couple months ago, where college athletes right now are enjoying this crazy wild, wild west where they're making a couple million dollars to play and it's unregulated and all that stuff. And now the NCAA is coming in and saying, hey, we're going to regulate it. We're going to pay you directly NIL funds from the school. And I think he's also proposing that schools shouldn't be inhibited. So once again, kowtowing to the SEC and saying the SEC should be able to raise more funds or as much funds as they want for this program. And lesser schools with lesser resources are going to have to do the best they can or not be in this at all type of deal. The implication being that the Power Four will have a new subdivision. So the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC are going to have a more clearly defined demarcation of what they're allowed to do, paying their players directly NIL money and not just having to go to a car dealer and getting a bucket of money from him. So in one way, I like it because I feel like NIL does need some some regulation. I know coaches hate it and stuff like that. But the NIL is going to be impossible to walk back. Third-party NIL is going to be impossible to walk back because it's it's a law. It's, it's uh, decided on by the courts. You can't, you can't now take it back. That genie's been out of the bottle. Kids can now get money from anybody. Um, the, the amount of tampering and stuff like that pre-transfer portal declaration that just happened yesterday is obscene because anybody can reach out to a kid who's, who's not even a representative of a college and say, hey, I'm John Doe. I'm not affiliated with anybody, but are you planning on going in the portal? And if you do, I have sources who say that Texas A&M would be willing to pay you $500,000 next year, right? That's not somebody within the Texas A&M program doing that. It's just some guy. And there's no way to put that genie back into the bottle. So it'll be interesting to see what he does or what this letter does that Baker wrote. But I think, I think the idea that it's going to regulate the NIL and uniformize it all over the Power Four is is a pipe dream because there's no way the private third-party NIL money can be curtailed. It's over. College football is over.
So I think it's a good try, and I think it's a last-ditch effort from the NCAA to regain some power and some authority in a space where they've completely pooched it over the last several years. All right, next topic, Larry. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. All right, we got Sambo, right? Yes. He's doing some, he's got some questions for us. Yes. All right, let's do it. Go ahead, Sambo. Who's the best college basketball team in the state right now, Chubby? (laughs) You got Sambo talking like you, Larry. It's BYU. You know, BYU is not lost. They've beaten some good teams. San Diego State was ranked like 17th when they they beat them, according to the Basketball Power Index. BYU is a top 20 program in the country based on that. I know they haven't had the toughest schedule, but heck, they're like Florida State. They just keep beating people. Um, Traore's having a great year. Spencer Johnson's good. Dallin Hall's good. The problem last year was they couldn't shoot. I still don't think they have set shooters, just catch and shoot guys off of penetrate and kick enough to, you know, challenge at all in the Big 12. I think it's going to be a nightmare conference schedule potentially, but it is nice. I root for Pope. It's nice to have a little mojo going into your first conference play in the toughest basketball conference in the country. So BYU's got to be number one by any metric. Utah 5-2. and two, They're 38th in the BPI. They've got SUU tonight, by the way, on your home of the Utes in Southern Utah ESPN 97.7. We'll go to that coverage starting at 6 o'clock with the pregame. Uh, other teams I wanted to remark on. How about Utah Tech getting the win Saturday night against UVU, winning back the the hammer, and having a great win. I mean, a lot of these guys are new to me, but Gonzalez had a great game. He had 18. I think he led them in the game. And uh, to get those in-state wins, that's what I always say for Utah Tech. If you can... If you can go above 500 in your in-state recruiting battle games, UVU, SUU, you know, Weber State type of games, plus you always benchmark yourself against Cal Bap, who looks really good this year. That's how I you kind of have to judge yourself in the early stages of D1 play in the WAC. And so far, so good knocking off UVU. Uh, Utah State, 8-1. and one, Great. Ozabor is at a, This guy is 20-10. and 10. And for a team that has lost everybody, right, all the shooters and the type of team they were last year was one of the best shooting teams in the country with, you know, with Coach Odom who's left and everybody else, Ashworth who's gone, Sholga who's gone. This is a totally different team. Falslev's good. I love cheering for him. But this big in there is better than Kada. He's a natural scorer. He's averaging 20 points a game. And... It's awesome. Now, I hope that they can kind of uh, at least resemble a little bit the style they played last year because that's what got them to the Mountain West Conference Championship game where they lost to San Diego State, just shooting the lights out. But to have a big like that is such a luxury who is that natural of a just on the boards, offensive putbacks, but also you can throw it down to him and he can finish. Something Kata really couldn't do. Uh, SUU 2-5, and five, lost by 9 to Utah State, lost by 25 to Cal Baptist. And like I said, they've got Utah tonight. First year, uh, Coach Jeter in his first year at SUU. And Lawrence, do you know the, the number in that game? The SUU-Utah game? Oh, Utah by 24 and a half. Yes. Okay. So about what they lost to Cal Baptist by. They're up at the Huntsman Center tonight. 
All right, very good. Next question, Sambo. What do you think of Caleb Williams opting out of his bowl game? It's pathetic. People, people will defend this decision with their life saying, look, he's got to do what's best for him. He's got to do what's best for his future as a football player and all that stuff. When you start a season, you look around at all your teammates and you're committing to, to play with them, right? You're committing to the season. Regardless of whether it's a good season or a bad season, if USC did what everybody thought they were going to do, including Caleb Williams and all of his linemen and the coaches, that was to go to the college football playoff. If they were playing in the college football playoff, he would not be sitting out. But because they won seven games and are playing in a disappointing bowl, he's saying to his teammates, you know what, you losers have to go and play in this game and travel and practice for another month and be miserable and go play in this pointless bowl. But I am decommitting from you at this point. You were counting on me to lead you to an undefeated season. I let you down, and now I'm going to let you down again by not even showing up to this stupid bowl game. So I hate it. People defend it. I don't. Next question. Would you hire Steve Clark if you were Utah Tech? I don't know a ton about Steve Clark. I know he's a darling of the BYU football program. It's a surprise that he got let go. He's coached at several different in-state schools, including, I think, Utah. I think, uh, obviously, BYU and maybe maybe Weber State for a little while. Um, great recruiter. Everybody loves him. Like I said, a surprise firing from, from, uh, from BYU. I think you go one of two ways if you're Utah Tech. You either go with a guy like Clark or another FCS coordinator who's lit it up or whatever, or you go super local. The big criticism of the community in St. George is we need more local players. We need more local tie-ins. You know, we're going to California to get all of our players. So that's one way to look at it. And, I, you know, I've got to be diplomatic in how I, you know, think about this or talk about it on the air when it comes to local stuff. But I, I think that... I think that the argument that the reason Utah Tech hasn't been good is because they're not recruiting enough local talent. I don't necessarily agree with that. There's been local kids on this team over the last several years. I think I think the argument that not getting enough local kids or at least having the perception that you're not getting enough local kids affects the community support of the team, I think there's something to that. And that's the number one thing to me is getting the community behind the team, which is a that's like climbing Mount Everest at this point for Utah Tech. And so for me, it's not necessarily just the recruiting the local kids is getting a guy in here who can win over the locals. And I thought if Coach Peterson can't do it, then who the heck can type of deal. And I think the administration at Utah Tech needs to look in the mirror, too. As far as it, it ain't just the head coach. You had a, in, in my mind, one of the most likable, charismatic guys to lead your program. And if he couldn't raise enough money or whatever to bring players in and in community support, who's your magical guy that's going to do that type of deal? And I, I, I think, you know, you bring up Steve Clark because that's kind of a big name right now as a possibility. I think that would be fine. But without the support beyond the head coach, to suck up to the community and get money in and do all that stuff. I don't think it matters who the head coach is. All right, next topic. Go ahead, Sambo. Dude, is this true about Zach Wilson refusing to play? I don't know. We'll talk with Burnsy and Big Game about this. Sources say it's true. Sala and 
A-Rod say this is ridiculous. This is something, though, if true, I don't know if you could ever come back from it. Like, in the NFL, you can come back from a lot of things. You can come back from a DUI. You can come back from being abusive, you know, hitting somebody, assault, whatever. You can come back from being, like, losing your mind. Like, Antonio Brown got a million chances. I know he was Antonio Brown, and this is Zach Wilson. But you can come back from a lot of stuff in the NFL. Refusing to play because the report says he's worried about injury. That's a death knell for me. Like, that's... How does any teammate or any team want a piece of a guy who's refusing, who's healthy, and is refusing to go back in the game because his team sucks and he sucks? I don't know how you come back with that. Next topic or next question, Sambo. we got to hurry. How about your boy Bronco taking the job at New Mexico? Ouch. <laughs> I was surprised. I don't know if it's been finalized, but credible sources are saying... You know, two hours ago when I was looking at this, that Bronco Mendenhall is going to take the job in Albuquerque and coach New Mexico. I was shocked. Bronco, I thought, could have easily gotten a job like Oregon State or Northwestern. One of these, uh, Northwestern would have been perfect because Bronco kind of prides himself as a builder and a program savior and that type of thing. To go to a crappy Mountain West school, not a good one like San Diego State, but New Mexico... I know he he was a defensive coordinator there in the 90s, and there's a little tie-in there. I, I think Bronco's a very unique coach. I think he he's not concerned about going to a place or whatever where he's going to win the conference or go, you know, as these big extravagant goals. He really does want to go and take over places and build, and that's how Virginia was when he got there, turned it around. Uh, BYU after, you know, the early 2000s kind of came in and turned it around tone-wise. But New Mexico... Who the heck would ever want to go and coach uh, New Mexico? Apparently, Bronco Mendenhall, so God bless him. All right. Next topic, Larry. We've got to hurry. What up, buddy? You're not very bright, are you? Andy versus Randy. As we do every week, we welcome in my twin brother, Randy, to give us his constructive uh, thoughts and uh, criticisms and all that stuff about the show. What up, buddy? What's happening, my friend? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I'm sitting here listening to your your ideas about uh, a group of five tournaments. Oh, wouldn't that be phenomenal? Yeah. Isn't that the best idea you've ever heard? No, I know you think it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Nobody wants to play in that. Why? Because it's. It's a JV. It's like being invited to the NFL. The, the JV. The Bulls are. J- who's what, watching what, the Bulls? What group of five team would want to play in? You'd that? rather go play in the Nobody. Papa. Jo- You'd rather go play in the Papa John's Bowl. But the bowl games, they get to play. You know. Oh, who cares? Power five schools. Who cares? Going to get to play Oregon. That's the only one that's good. Yeah, they're not. They're not going to want to give that up to go play in some. They should NIT. They should give it up. They should give it up and go play for a national title at their level. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it would, honestly. I, I think everybody would love it. And I think they would get a lot more viewers. Um, I think you would watch I'd that. I'd probably treat it like I do the FCS tournament. I don't watch a lot of that. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks yeah. for calling. See you. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. All right. We got to go. Great job, Larry. Quick break. Back with more of the Andy, Andy, excuse me, Thompson show with Rustin Burnside when we come back.